welcome to Short Story Discussions, the podcast by Short Story Book Club for people who love short stories. Today's podcast is brought to you by Short Story Book Club. Get the best short stories and snacks delivered to your door each month when you subscribe at shortstorybookclub.com. And now, here's our show. All right, Leslie Ann, I want to thank you uh, for joining us on the Short Story Book Club podcast today. Um, I'm very excited to have you on as our guest. I know we um, uh, it took us a, a couple <laughs> of weeks to connect to finally uh, get this together, but um, I think that um, you know w- what I had learned of your work prior. So I had I found you on social media. Mm-hmm. What little bit I I learned of your work through social media. I was very pleased with that, and I said I just had to reach out. Um, and I'm really glad that I did, so that we could um, talk a little bit more in depth about um, some of the things that you have published and that you are um, planning to to share with the world um, mm-hmm. in the next couple of uh, months. Yeah. So first. Um, Let's just, you know, get everyone familiar with who you are and and what you do. So can you just tell us a little bit about yourself? Okay. Well, I'm Leslie Ann, and um, I'm from Trinidad and Tobago, the Caribbean originally, and I moved to New York City when I was 13, and I've spent a couple of years living in New York. Um, I attended school there and then um, for the last seven or eight years I've been traveling and teaching abroad. So I taught in Beijing, I taught in Bangladesh, I um, taught a little bit in France and now I'm living in a small country town in central Massachusetts. Oh, so you're you're in the States now? Yeah, I'm back in the States, unfortunately, but yeah. Okay, so you, it's is it easier or better for you as a, a writer to be traveling a lot? Well, I think um, I I love traveling. Ever since I was small, I was a traveler, even if it was in my mind. Um, I remember living in Trinidad, and this the community where I grew up. It's called La Hakata, and it's um it was it's a, it was a small community at the time, and now it has grown. But I remember like spending my days walking around the community looking at houses or going through every nook or cr- and crannies there is in the place that I felt wasn't discovered as yet so I was doing that kind of traveling just when I was younger and when I got older enough to actually travel and and you know afford it I started doing it more and I think my work is all my work is um let me see I think a lot of my work is not um, U.S.-based. Like, my characters or all these things are not in America. So it's always nice to travel and see how people live and understand the world and create and create this world for themselves. And um, that helps me to... That helps me with building characters and building a story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so you think that your travels have helped you to to be able to be more... I guess, authentic with the way that you develop your writing? Definitely. Um, most definitely. When I travel, I I never write when I travel. Like this summer, I, 
I was in Trinidad, I was in Paris, Morocco, and I didn't write um, because I, I was just so stimulated of taking in all this culture and language and beauty and ugliness at the same time. And um, But I think when I came back home and I started to work on my short story collection again, I could... I had a deep sense of all this experience that happened for three months was being um, filtered through in my writing. Um, I journaled a lot when I was traveling, but I just couldn't, I didn't have the mental bandwidth to um, to actually write a story. Even though I was trying to be ambitious and do it, it, it couldn't happen. But journaling um, helped me. And when I was in Trinidad, where I'm from, where my short story collection is based, I was really trying to um, understand people's language, right? In Trinidad, um, we speak English, but it's a, a very different version of English, right? Um, so I was just trying to get into, like, listen to the rhythm of how people speak and how they construct their sentences. And, you know, our language is so closely tied to how we understand ourselves and how we understand their, the world. So if I was able to get into that rhythm of the language and really, um, really see how it's constructed, then my characters would then appear more authentic and more, like, well lived in this uh, Trinidadian mindset. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's that actually reminds me of. Um, I think it's pronounced Barracoon. Have you uh, heard of this? So Zora Neale Hurston. They recently released this book of hers, where she wrote. Um, I guess it was a it's a, a biography. I guess. Yeah. Of, of this uh, man who had lived. I guess during during the the slavery period and he and she chose to write using his authentic dialect and I think that you know what she did I mean it sounds a lot like what you're saying that you did and it really did add like an an extra layer of um, authenticity to that work so that was yeah I uh, got that. I'm actually. I got that book for my birthday a couple months ago. Um, yeah, I'm not. I'm. So the thing is that I'm not trying to write in the dialect, and that's one thing I'm. I'm struggling for in my collection. When do I put dialect in, or do I just like change up some verb tense and things like that? Because I don't want it. I don't want it to sound too like a caricature of. Trinidadianness because obviously I haven't lived here in a long time. So, but I'm trying to, through, I think, through understanding how the language is conveyed and through understanding the rhythm, I'm trying to convey much of that possible in the narration and how people just construct a word, um, construct ideas, you know, very differently from. Um, like in American standard English, like I'm trying to think about something like in Trinidad, I was writing it down when I was there, but we say def- different things. Uh, sorry, I can't think about it now, but there are some amazing things of how people construct sentences there. Um, I, I'm looking for my journal. I can't find it, but yeah, because I was just you know, listening to how people talk, but yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, you, you could all, 
always send that to us, Yeah, I guess, in an email or something, and we can maybe just share that in the show notes, yeah. an example of that. So this uh, collection of short stories that you're working on, so let's just jump right into talking about that. So um, what is the title of this book? When can we expect this to be available? Um, the title is, I jump from title to title every other day. So right now, there's not like a solid title. But I'll tell you a little bit about the book. And I'll tell you about my hopes for its arrival, its premiere. Um, so I'm still trying to figure out, but it's a short story collection. It's a linked short story collection um, about Trinidad and Tobago. But because so many of the ideas that I'm talking in, in, the, in the book may, may be very controversial and really hard-hitting for Trinidad, I switched up the country's name, right? So I call it St. Trinity instead of uh, Trinidad and Tobago. Because sometimes I think when we look at ourselves directly, it's really hard to take that blow. Mm-hmm. So if we look at it um, via another entity like another country and then we can mirror that back to us then it will be easier to digest right um and so the collection it's an interlink collection about this family coming undone after the patriarch in the family dies right that's like on the surface level but deeper it's it's looking at at how um poverty um sexism, post-colonial identity, all these things um, affects a family in the Caribbean and how they are having to deal with things that are not even part of their history, but because they're living in that country, it's part of their history. It's not part of their personal history. And how all these things um, disconnect us and how we have to fight fight ourselves and fight this history, wrestle with this history to feel connected. And sometimes we are in control of our our destiny and sometimes we are not and that's because of like you know racism, sexism, um, classism, all these things and how this family is wrestling with all these things. Um, part of it is also Part of it is just like, although it's this this one family is a microcosm for what's really happening in um, the Caribbean, right? And so I'm using this family to discuss a small issue about family and identity, but also a larger issue. Are, are you still there? Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. That's it. I'm sorry. <laughs> so why are you deciding to tell these stories now? Well, I it's not that I'm deciding to tell these stories now. It's that these stories has decided to be told now. And I don't know if that's a difference. I think there's a difference, yes. Um, I've spent a lot of years working on the narrator of this um, short story collection, 
but I didn't even know it was working. I was working on the narrator. I was just like, I really like this character's voice and I would include her in many things, but I was just like, this is just my pet project and no one's going to see it. And I was working on other stories that I felt like were more viable and moved more. And, and um, I think a lot of it was growth. A lot of it was just like learning who I am as a writer. A lot of it was like knowing what story I want to want to tell. Um, and a lot of it, like really people don't talk about. Sometimes you just have to wait for the story to come. Um, many years I spent with this character, but it's only until December, January that this character really wanted to tell the story of herself and her family and her, her island. And I've been working on, I've been friends, let's say, with this character for many years. I wrote the first, the story that I wrote with this character got me accepted into my MFA program. And that was in 2009, yeah. So it just took a lot, a lot of growing, emotional growing, a lot of traveling, a lot of experience. And um, in December, I was in Norway hanging out with my friend. And I was reading this really beautiful short story collection um, by Kathleen Collins whatever happened to interracial love. It's so beautiful. Um, some of it are short stories. Some of it is are vignettes. It's just well done. And just very avant-garde at the time and very dismissive of short story structures and what a story is supposed to be. Um, and when I was reading that, it, it really freed me up to allow myself basically that I can write this story this story this collection that I've been working on it freed me up to say you can write this collection and you can be very creative you can be avant-garde as you want to you can you know do anything you want to right mm -hmm. and so this this uh collection was just so beautiful to me and it was just it came at the right time and um, when I was in Norway, I started rewriting drafts of this collection. And by the time I left Norway, I had the first short story. And from, let's say, January to, this is October, I've had four stories for my collection so far. And by the end of the year, I'll have another fourth story. And... You know, with other stories that I have written or I, I have been writing, it just, I start, I stop, I start, I stop. I, I, the, the energy wasn't there or the actual story wasn't there. And I was just like searching in the dark for it. Um, but this story was, it was dear and I didn't have to do a lot of searching in the dark and the energy was there. And, and I think it's because I've, known these characters for so long as a writer right and and so it became easy and this is not this is it's not that easy for everyone it wasn't that easy for me but I've known these characters and I've known the stories that they want to tell but finally I allowed myself for them to tell these stories and I allowed myself to just be 
I, you know, I was just basically, I'm forgetting the, the institution, the, you know, the fiction institution or the writing institution. And I'm just allowing myself to write what I know and, and, you know, write with humanity instead of writing crazy, not crazy characters or writing something that is not clearly connected to my breath, let's say, mm -hmm. if, we want, if we want to be pretentious and cool. Well, I mean, it sounds, it sounds to me like, um, you know, what you experience is like what, what many artists of any genre feel. So they go to school. So you were talking about how you had just, you had just gotten into this program and they, in the program, they teach you the right way to do everything. They teach you the structure and what have you. And so when you leave, this is presumably what you would do upon, you know, leaving this, this program. But, you know, you, you read this other work by this other author. Um, and that, as you said, it gave you permission to do something different. And I think, and I think maybe you were able to take the craft that you had learned and were able to now, um, on a, a much higher level, maybe to, to meld the two, to, to make something, um, to make something different than what you had originally imagined. Yeah, definitely. And I think part of it, and I'm afraid to admit this, but I must admit it to just move on and heal from it. But part of it, I was deeply afraid of writing immigrant, migrant literature for a very American or Western audience to consume. Because I'm just, I some of it is good, some of it is uh, problematic. And I didn't just want to write about a coming-of-age story of a Caribbean immigrant whose mother is a cleaner and, you know, father passed away in an, a car accident and all these things, which I probably could have written many years ago and gotten published. But I was really, like, staying away from that line because because I, I felt like I had another story to tell. It's an, it's an immigrant story. But it's not the kind of immigrant feel-good story that, you know, we were down and then we moved, we overcame and we bought a house in Brooklyn and yay! You know, but it's a kind of immigrant story of, like, for me, you know, in the, my first, um, the opening, uh, the first story in this collection is basically about this young woman who got accepted from... St. Trinity, my made-up island, who got accepted to um, a college in the United States, and her mother took her all her visa information and left for America, and she ended up staying at home, and her mother came up to America on a fake, you know, mm -hmm. fake papers, and that's how the story is, and that happens a lot, but we don't hear that in uh, fiction a lot. And I feel like a lot of fiction that's coming from women of color and immigrants, right? And I didn't want to have the sanitized version of an immigrant experience. I wanted these, I wanted to show that um, these characters have really problematic lives with 
their parents. A lot of times we read uh, women of color fiction or immigrant fiction, and it's like the mother is a strong woman in the family taking care of everything, and that's, that's true and that's valid, but many times we have very problematic mothers who are narcissists themselves, who never got to live out their dreams and lives and, you know, um, cutting down their daughters short or belittling and belittling their their children because you know they didn't have support or because they don't want their kids to be better than them and I wanted to show these like really like the underbelly of immigration right and sometimes immigration doesn't even start when you get that passport stamp and you head off to wherever in America but that process starts before in the home when when your your people are leaving or people in your fa- in your community are leaving you know every month someone's leaving for America and what does that do to a community when everyone's constantly leaving mm-hmm. right and what does that say about their country and their culture and ultimately themselves so I really wanted to investigate how all these things really, we don't talk about it, I think, as immigrants, but really, I think, starts to seep into our identity. And it's like, it's like this slow trauma. Mm-hmm. Wow, that is that is just so powerful. I, I really love um, everything that you just said there. Um and I can't wait for your stories to be published. When, when can we, can we read them? Girl, only Jesus can tell. No, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. So my, um, my goal is for February to have my first draft finish. And I'm taking, um, I'm working with a writing class right now just to push out the last four stories and by 2019 to have a second draft and only when i have a second draft i can start making plans for it to be published but right now i am just on my first draft okay and so i like to i think what i'm trying to do these days and thanks for like qigong and mindfulness is just stay present even though i'm thinking about these big pictures i need to stay present because with the present, it's given me momentum to go on when I think about the big pictures and what does that mean when your book is published and all these things. It becomes a little bit overwhelming. So I'm just trying to stay present right now, crank out a story every month as possible, and keep it moving. Okay. All right. Well, let's talk about um, one of your more recently published works then. Mm-hmm. So I have a, a draft of... Let's see, Plastic City. Mm-hmm. And this was published in, how do you say that, Obsidian? Yeah. Okay. And uh, what is Obsidian exactly? Could you explain that to us? Um, it's a magazine um, published by the University of Chicago, Illinois. And basically it's given voice to um, writers of color, Um I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but a lot of writers of color are not readily published in magazines, um, 
you know, literary literary journals. So this um, magazine is really pushing that agenda and, you know, getting writers of color published. Okay. All right. And then your short story, Plastic City, mm-hmm. um, if you could um, please summarize that for us. Oh, my gosh. I have, I've, I've, oh, I've been re- writing this story for... I, well, I've been, I've wrote that story for so long, and I was working on that story for so long. It's like, I don't even like to think about it. But um, basically, it's about. I'll give you the long version, the long short version. I was in Thailand a couple of years ago, and um, I was on Pattaya in Pattaya, which is known to be a very well a place that, you know, they're prostitutes there. It's like a prostitute city, let's say. And I didn't know about the history of Pattaya. And I went there and I was like, oh, okay, this is interesting. And I met my friend on a nearby island and we're just going to hang out there for a couple of days. And when I was on my way to Pattaya, the boat, it was just full of tourists and it was majority white tourists. And, um, I and a couple of other Thai people were the only, like, black people on the boat. And I, I just thought that was interesting um, how so many other tourists are going to enjoy Thailand, but they're actually just enjoying themselves on the beach with other people, other foreigners. Mm-hmm. And I was just interested, when I'm in Thailand and when I travel throughout Asia and, like, throughout everywhere, um, I see a lot of people selling, they have to sell this, um, they have to perform a personality for the tourists to feel connected so then the tourists would buy more. And it's not really an authentic personality, but it's a tourist personality, especially for Western tourists who are coming into these countries and wanting to devour the exotic in any way by braiding their hair, by getting a tattoo, by um, getting tanned, I don't know, getting all these things, you know, wearing Thai pants, um, definitely um, by buying Thai prostitutes. And this happens all over, not even in Asia, but all over, right? So I was just interested in that idea of, um, what tourists think they're getting and the people who have to sell it to them. So when I was on the boat, the ferry, I, met, I saw this guy who was just going to the beach that day. And while tourists were going to just hang out and drink and party, he was going to sell to the tourists. And he would sell anything to them just once he gets a sale because he's poor. And I decided to develop this entire story based on that guy and based on yeah just based on his what i believe is his experience and what is the experience of so many uh poor people living in um emerging nations so the story is about a guy who is um a masseuse on the beach in thailand but that's the surface but on the need it's talking about you know the um prostitution it's talking about um all these you know uh 
I'm trying to find sorry I'm I'm trying to find the better word but it's talking about all these um things that tourists have to perform it not tourists um peddlers on the beach especially in Thailand have to perform in order to get paid and it talks about the the economic industry talks about the tourist industry and it talks about this um especially western men white western western men um devouring what they considered exotic right mm-hmm. and the uh, yeah okay so when i uh was reading this story and i read it a couple of times i mean obviously you know the poverty um was a major theme um and you have talked about the tourism um but something else that i thought was interesting was the the entre- entrepreneurship and i was thinking to myself that you you could actually take this story and use it in an economics class even i mean did you did you research like economics when you were putting that together or was it just you you were able to kind of um see what how other people were um, approaching finance in these uh, types of environments and then writing about them? Um, I think that's, that's what Rick comes into traveling again. I think when you travel, especially in places like I've traveled in a lot of Western places, um, but primarily I've traveled in, a lot of, I mean, I'm using quote-unquote emerging nations. And when you travel in emerging nations, you start to see certain things being replicated over and over and over. And a lot of this is a result of post-colonial industry, post-colonial industry, post-colonialism. A lot of it is a result of capitalism, um, is a result of wars. And you start to see these same things replicated. And the and that's why I wrote this story because you can take the character, the main character, and you can put him back. You can put him in uh, Labadi Beach in Ghana, and it will still be the same thing. Or you can put him in Trinidad, and it will be the same thing, right? Um, because so so I didn't study economics, but because I have this background on post-colonialism and what it does to a country and its people and its diet identity and culture and social and all these things I understood what it means to really sell yourself and not sell yourself like hey I'm selling these corns or I'm selling these shoes but I really have to sell myself my body for you in order to in order to get something and so we have some people who are selling themselves via sex but some people who have to perform this role that the foreigners expect them to perform in order to be paid so like especially in thailand a lot of a lot of foreigners expect thai people to be buddhist they expect thai people to be simple They expect Thai people to be very warm. And you hear it. You hear it in people. They're like, they're so warm and friendly and caring. But really, Thai people are just uh, as regular people. But 
you have to create this um just very askewed idea of them right people use very um oh what's the word oh, stereotypes not even infer infantilization on Thai people like oh they're so sweet they're so cute right but in order to maintain this in order to maintain tourism in order to maintain the wealth coming in well the the tourist wealth coming into this country you have to maintain these um divisions where in the tourist mind the Thai people are always less than them. And if there's a power shift where the Thai people are equal, then there becomes a problem. And you see this idea replicated throughout places that are not Western, right? Mm -hmm. So when I lived in when I lived in um China, I saw a lot of Americans um talking down to the about Chinese people. One a friend of a friend once said, "Well, you have to talk to them a certain way because otherwise they don't listen. They don't use their critical thinking skills." So we see all these infantilization languages attached to them, but it's deeper down, it's um it's there's a a, a racial imbalance happening there because if we bring it back the if we bring it back to America, we can understand how that language is used when how white people address about black people or poor or how middle class and elite black people talk about poor and working class black people. So all these things are very connected. Yes. And I, I did notice that. I mean, I, I looked a little closely at the way you wrote the black girl mm -hmm. in the story and I mean, I don't know if any of this was intentional, but mm -hmm. I noticed that um, the black girl was the only person who was defined as a girl. So it seemed, I mean, it, it really seemed like she was an adult, like in an adult relationship, mm -hmm. but you refer to her as a girl. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't know if that was intentional or not. And it almost seemed as if, you know, I don't want to give too much of it away, but mm -hmm. th there's the scene in the story where she's with her partner mm -hmm. and it's, it's also, also interesting that her partner was the only person who, who had, who was the only tourist with a first name, which mm -hmm. I, I don't know if that was intentional, but, um, but the way that she, she had this um, interaction with her partner was almost kind of juvenile in that. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. Did you call her a girl because she 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 acted childish? Were you trying to to make that point, or was that just? Well, I think from his point of view, like these two are the brownest people on the beach. Okay. And these people, the and they are like, they're on the beach, but they're also separated from the activity because they're brown. And like, what I was trying to do is make that connection of like, and they could hardly see both of them could hardly see themselves as human beings, 
but and other people around them are not seeing them as humans because of their the racial imbalance. And both of them, even together, even though he recognized that she was brown like him, you could still, because of cognitive dissonance, you couldn't really recognize your humanity. Hmm. Okay. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you to explain that a little bit more. I wasn't going to go into the into the depth of the story, but uh, so you're saying that the the two characters, the two African American, so I guess they're both black. The two black characters were were not human. Well, it's not that they're not human. It's because of consistent. Um, racism and inconsistent colonization, right? Where racism is, um, it's a human rights violation. And when you are racist, you're taking away that person's humanity. And so for this Thai guy, he is, for this Thai guy, he doesn't understand that both of them, he and this black woman, even though they're from different countries, they're different gender, different religion, different culture, they're more connected than separated. But they're unable to see that because of consistent cognitive dissidence, right? Like he and and one of the reasons why that was included is like when I was in Thailand and I've been to Thailand like three times, and anytime I go on the beach I'm hanging out. I'm usually the only black person there. And a lot of the vendors come up to me because I'm brown like them. I think that's initially what it is. And anytime I talk to the vendors, we end up having the same conversation. They're like, wow, but you're black like me. And how is that possible? Mm -hmm. But you are not from here, right? Or they're surprised that like they can feel they're so connected to a black person. Or when I was in India in this uh, state, the Karnataka state, I went to this um, this ruins, and this Indian guy, young boy, came up to me when I was at the ruins, and he was like, "But you're black like me," and he just couldn't understand how can you be black like me? How can we look alike when you're so different? How can we look alike when? racism and the global racism institution always separate us but we're more connected than more separated mm -hmm. I see wow that's that I had not even made that connection and I'm I'm really glad um, that I asked you about that yeah. so so this this writing I thought I mean this is just a general comment not necessarily a question, yeah. but I was really, um, I was really impressed with um, the the obvious care that mm -hmm. you took to tell the story, and the vividness of both the um, the location and also just the characters themselves. So mm -hmm. I I really appreciated that because um, it's it would be so easy to 
gloss over some of these details and just like focus on some of these broader concepts you know that we've been talking about in this interview yeah but um yes i i really appreciated that and i think that your you know your talents as a writer you know really showed through in this in this story and i think that if i even went back and read this story now um like a fourth time and now after talking with you i, I would probably come up with with even more um to think about and you know with regard to this story i think there's there's really a lot here so yeah I, go ahead thank you thank you i appreciate it so um now this obsidian mm -hmm. can we find a copy of this on a website or yeah it's online if you just google like, obsidian magazine it's online okay and this issue is available for purchase yes okay great and do you have um a so do you want to give people your social media or your website information um yeah so i don't have a website right now but i have i'm i'm just trying to keep it very low profile um on instagram i'm departing enigma on instagram because i you know i'm just trying to practice a lot of mindfulness and be steady i feel like with a lot of social media um it just really takes away it takes away my critical thinking skills really yep. and it doesn't it doesn't leave any room to write or breed and so you know i take breaks from social media until like you know my book is published and now i have to like you know go into that realm and um yeah but one thing i want to just go back to what you were saying is that you mentioned um that you know the world i you know you felt like you were part of the world and i took some time with the characters and all these things and those things were deliberate because what I've noticed when a lot of writers are writing about um, characters who are not like themselves or are coming from a different culture, they did, they tend to hang on to the stereotypes and they tend to hang on to the things that dehumanize instead of humanize. And so it was really important for me because I'm writing about a culture that is not it's not my culture, but it's very familiar because of that, like, post-colonization um, idea. Although I don't think Thailand was colonized, but it's in that same same genre, right? Mm -hmm. And it was really important for me to write, to give these characters their humanity and give this world... Um, really feel like we are settled in this world and to give this world its humanity. I've been, when I was in grad school, I remember this one woman writing about a world. She's, she's from New Jersey, but she's writing about these black characters who are living on the other side of town. And my God, it was just filled with stereotypes and just, just all this broad stereotypes and this, it was an act of just dehumanization of blackness. And I've experienced that a lot sometimes being the only black person in a writer's workshop of 
another time I was in another writer's workshop and this one um, woman, this white woman wrote about this black girl going to have a fight with another black girl and she's using these colloquialism and it's okay if it's like part of the point of view, but a lot of it wasn't part of the point of view. It was a lot of it. It was just taking away this character's humanity. And that's all she's good at as a black person is to fight another black person. Mm. And everybody in the workshop loved it because it was just a day and a girl going to fight a black girl, going to beat up another black girl. And I was just like, this is really poorly written because it's it's a it's a caricature of African Americans. And what did you say to them? And of course, I challenged them. And my prof another professor, the writing instructor, said, "Well, you wouldn't know because you speak so eloquently." Oh no, he's oh. yes. Oh yes. <laughs> <laughs> and. You know, I walked out the workshop and I never went back and it was, it was terrible, but, but everyone was in support of this because that's how they understood blackness. And so it was, for them, it was confirming something they already taught was standard. But for me, as a black woman who grew up in the States, and I've seen all the different rays of blackness, I, I know poor black folks, I know rich black folks, I know middle-class black folks, I know every garment of it. For me, that was just a caricature of who we are. And when I'm writing about, when I'm writing about my own characters, even Trinidadian characters, or when I'm writing about um, a Chinese character, which I'm doing, I have to give this character my humanity, their humanity, and I always, in the process, have to challenge my racial stereotypes about this person. This person. Mm -hmm. All right. So you're do you do you're doing the work. So you're not just relying on the stereotype to give you your character you 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 do the work you you study you study, yeah, you, you study what it means to be human what it means to have an experience an authentic experience whatever your your economic or your cultural background is exactly yeah well i want to say that this this has just been a phenomenal uh, interview. I want to thank you so much, Leslie Ann. I'm I'm glad we were able to connect. And like I said, I I'm looking forward to your mm -hmm. sto short story collection. And when it's out, I want you to make us among the first um, that you that you tell about um, your collection because I, I hope that um, you know millions of people. And I'm not overstating that. I do <laughs> hope that millions of people have the opportunity to um, to read and to um, experience um, your your craft. Um, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. It's always nice, like, you know, I think, um, especially living in the countryside and living alone and being a writer, so many things are just trapped in my mind. So it's really nice to, like, sit and talk and... For me, it's also like helping me to 
develop other stories and to develop what I'm really writing about. So I appreciate it. And thank you so much. That's it for today's episode. Be the first to know about our upcoming shows by visiting our website at shortstorybookclub.com. Follow us on Facebook at SSBC Posts, on Twitter at SSBC Tweets, and on Instagram at Short Story Book Club. Become a subscriber and join the club to read the latest short story of the month. Get this and more at shortstorybookclub.com. See you next time.